Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. Welcome to this episode of Hope for Hard Times, Episode 9, Christians and Government. This is the episode for Sunday, September 3rd, 2023. I've really been looking forward to this particular episode and I've been giving a lot of thought to a very important set of questions. Our Lord Jesus Christ recognized that those who believe in him have to also deal with government in their lives, the authorities. And Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 21, they say unto him, Caesar's, he had asked for a coin and asked them whose image was on the coin. They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. So right there in that brief episode, you can read the whole episode in Matthew 22, we see there that there is a distinction made between the uh, particular government that Christians may live under at a uh, point in time and under the actual government of God. And we should never confuse the two, but we recognize that both exist and we have as citizens responsibilities not only to God, but to government. But how do we keep everything lined up like it should be? And so that's why I've entitled this episode, Christians and Government. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now, let me stop here just a moment and say that that doesn't mean that God approves of everything that every type of government does, but he allows them to exist, and they couldn't exist to regulate society unless he allowed it. Really, we're talking here about delegated powers that God gives to government, and if they abuse that, they will answer to God for that, Not maybe not in this lifetime, although that can definitely happen, but for certain in eternity, they will give an account to God for the power that was delegated to them. How did they use it? But let's, let's read the whole passage without my comment. Romans 13, 1 through 7, and don't worry, we're going to get to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause, for for this cause, pay ye tribute also, that means taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. All right, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. 
And we're going to read here, and it's going to sound exactly like what we've just finished reading. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. And for so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now let's look at this. Christians and government. So we go back in 1 Peter chapter 2, 2 to verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. So the idea of, of submitting ourselves, each one of us do that, is this is voluntary, first of all, now, we are told here to do it, but we have to choose to do it. The idea of submit in that the Greek language is to rank under. For example, a private ranks under a first sergeant. A second lieutenant ranks under a first lieutenant. Get the idea? It doesn't mean that one person or the other is more important or a better person or a lesser person. It's just the order of things. Where someone ranks, even on a sports team, somebody may be considered first team. Another person may considered, uh, be considered rather by the coaches second team. It doesn't mean that either person is inferior or superior. It's just where they're positioned. You get that? Submit yourselves. I'm to do this. I'm, I'm to always do this. To every ordinance of man. That is the, the, um, the laws that we have to deal with, the regulations. I know it is mind-numbing sometimes. It's almost, it is actually impossible to keep up with all the laws and regulations and codes and everything that we're supposed to know. But if you're called out on something and it's, it's a code, it's a law, you know, you need to deal with that, right? You need to do the right thing. Now, why do we do this? Is it because that police officer or that governor is a superior person to us? They're just, they're more important than we are. No, it doesn't necessarily mean that at all. In fact, um, the, somebody telling you what the law is could be a really lousy person but it doesn't matter. They're in a position and they're allowed to be in a position of authority within our society. And we, we submit ourselves. We, we follow the laws. Why do we do that? Maybe not even because they're great laws. We follow the laws for the Lord's sake. That is because he tells us to do that, number one, and also it helps us have a good witness in our community and among the people that we know. So he says here, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king, that would be like the Roman Caesar or, or a king in a country, whether it be to the king as supreme, that is, he's the, he's the top of that government. So we, we try to be in compliance with what he says or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. So the king can't be everywhere at one time, right? So he has a, a governmental uh, force to, to administrate his kingdom. And they are sent out, and when people are doing wrong, and it's, it's literally evildoers, that's literally what the Greek word means, they're, they're doing evil all the time. And his governors, whatever title they may hold or position they hold, his administration is sent out by the king 
in order to enact vengeance or revenge or punishment on those who are out doing evil and for the praise of them that do well. Now, it feels to me like in modern society that people who do evil are kind of kind of let off sometimes, a lot of times. And there is, we don't hear a whole lot of praise for people who are doing the right thing. I mean, they're virtually ignored, but be sure you keep paying your taxes, right? That's the way it works. <laughs> so this is, this is what we are to do, and it's part of being faithful to the Lord, and it has everything to do with being able to have a good witness to those who need to know the Lord uh, that are our neighbors, co-workers, etc. I mean, it's hard to be, you know, to have your witness taken seriously for Jesus if you're speeding through your neighborhood, you know, doing 65 in a 20-mile residential area. I mean, your neighbors are going to look at you like, yeah, you're going to kill my kid because you're an idiot when you drive. Hello? If you're a Christian, it should impact even how you drive through a residential neighborhood or on the interstate. You know, think of the whole road rage thing. Hopefully you're not the one who's responsible for that. And that's a pretty good illustration of what we're talking about here. You can't say, well, you know, I I don't have to obey that. I'm a Christian because Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is about to nail you right here on this. Watch this, verse 15. For so is the will of God. You know, do you really want to know the will of God? Oh, I really do, Pastor Ed. He wants you to go 25 in a 25 mile an hour zone. Still listening? For so is the will of God. That with well-doing, so we have the people out doing evil left and right, but we're not supposed to be like that. For so is the will of God that with well-doing, that is doing good, not doing evil, ye may put to silence. That word means to muzzle. (laughs) That with well-doing, you want to shut up the critics of Christianity, start obeying the laws everybody's supposed to obey. That with well-doing, ye may put to silence. The ignorance, that is uh, not knowing, they just don't know. The ignorance of foolish men. So there are many critics of Christianity and Christians. Some of their criticism, unfortunately, is deserved against us because we're not all doing the right thing like we should. So, we need to be out there being seen, abiding by the laws of our community, doing the right thing, that with well-doing, ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And the idea in the Greek here is you have to just continuously keep doing good, and it will continuously silence the criticism because it's going to go on and on. They're not They're not going to stop once and permanently. You may silence them, you know, at one point, but, you know, three weeks later, they'll be at it again. But but the way you shut them up every time is you're doing the right thing. Verse 16 defines it even more clearly. As free, that is, when we got saved, we live in the freedom of the Lord, right? So that means I don't have to obey any laws, Pastor Ed. You'd be wrong as free and not using your liberty, your freedom, for a cloak of maliciousness. Do you have a reputation as being a malicious person, either behind the wheel or are you robbing banks or, you know, are you slandering your neighbors all up and down the street? Do you have a reputation for righteousness or maliciousness? Don't be like that. That is a terrible negative advertisement, you know, in reverse for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be this way, verse 16, as free and not using your liberty, your freedom, for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Verse 17 Honor, so he kind of sums it up here. 
honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. If we want to have hope in hard times, we've got to be doing what we've read here in verses 13 to 17, and 17 really sums it up. Honor all men. We owe a basic amount of human decency and respect for everyone we meet. Now, there could come a time that they prove themselves unworthy of that, but that's, that should be our attitude when we meet everybody, even people that we may disagree with. It could be the way that we treat them could cause them to go, huh, I didn't expect that person to act that way because I heard they were a Christian. I thought they were going to be very mean and harsh and judgmental toward me and curse me out or something like that. But instead, we're to honor all men. That's just to show respect. Doesn't mean you have to approve of people being wrong and doing wrong, but you don't have to, um, you don't have to be ugly to people. Do, are, you, are you hearing me here? Honor all men. All right, the second thing is love the brotherhood. Now, this is different. Honor all men is just our walk through life. Christians or non-Christians, but especially non-Christians that we meet, honor all men. You know, I, I try to greet people with a smile, be somebody uplifting. I say, thank you, and you're welcome, and please, you know, listen, Christians should be the ultimate gentlemen and ultimate ladies, and that's being lost. And we should, we should realize we have a duty from God when we meet people and we're around people to honor all men. All right, the second part is love the brotherhood. Now that is where we're dealing with those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. For them... We are to have that brotherly love. We're to love the brotherhood. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Hopefully you have. But wherever you travel across your country or maybe around the world or in your region or say, well, I don't get out much. All right, when you visit other neighborhoods, wherever you go, it doesn't take long to realize, you know, I think that that guy over there must love Jesus. I mean, just listen to him talk. Watch how he treats people. I think he knows the Lord. And you know what? You, you get into a conversation and you find out they are, in fact, a true follower of Jesus Christ. She's a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's just something about another Christian, even if, even if you don't know that for sure, you start to realize, you know, I think I'm related to them. <laughs> We believe in the Lord. And then you find out it's true. You are both Christians. We're to, we're to go out of our way to make sure we are showing brotherly love to those in the family of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Here's a third one. Fear God. Now, this trips people up sometimes because people hear fear, the word fear, and they feel like it's some kind of craven, cringing, you know, I know God's going to strike me with a thunderbolt, you know, that kind of fear. And he, he certainly could, and we would deserve it. But that's not what he's in the business of at this time. He's saving people because he loves people. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ came to the earth. But we are to reverence God. There's a, a proper reverence and proper fear of the Lord that we're to have toward God. I, I'm just hearing things that people who think they're Christians, maybe they are, you know, who am I to know that? But I, I just hear things being said by people who will tell you they're Christians and I just think to myself sometimes, or maybe the way they live, and I just just think like, man, I don't know. You know, this seems so wrong. 
but just an attitude or an irreverence or even wrong actions. Hey, people, we need to be in the proper way. We need to be in the fear of the Lord, fear God. A well-known Christian so-called speaker, a lady is quoted as saying, Jesus is my boyfriend. There's just something wrong with that. It is so wrong. I'll let you sit down and ponder that. But that's an example. And that's just one example of others I could give. But we should have a proper fear of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. Here's the last one, honor the king. It's the same word, uh, if I remember correctly from my studies in verse 17, used at the start of honor all men. We're to show proper respect and value toward the, the leader of the government we're under. You know, now that's a lot harder if I'm under the government of Joseph Stalin <laughs> or you, you get what I'm saying? Or I'm, I'm in China as a member of one of the house churches and, you know, I'm not excited about the leader of my country at this time. And, you know, you can, you can give many examples of that. But there's still, there's still a, a way to do that without approving of everything or obeying them and doing wrong. And I believe God gives us wisdom in every situation like that. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. All right, so we're, we're done with 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. But I want to talk to you about applying what we've heard. And I want to bring up some things that I've hardly ever heard discussed when we hear this, and it's, and it's all biblical, but we need to think about some things, brethren. All right, say, well, well what if I think my, my mayor is a rat fiend? You know, am I supposed to honor him? Hey, it's like they say in, in that uh, war movie, we salute the rank, not the man, okay? If, if we don't, are not excited about a certain president, depending on who it is from time to time, or the mayor, or, or even the police officer. Listen, we salute the rank, not the man. We, we respect the office, although we may have severe doubts about the man. And we should be praying anyway. You know all of that for our leaders. We salute the rank, not the man. Now I'm going to plug that in in the relations to regarding for example, the police. There will be a lot less motorists shot dead by police if this one concept is mentally grasped and, and made a part of that person's heart and mind. Listen carefully. It could save your life or the lives of your children or grandchildren. The police represent the authority of the people whom they are, are appointed by. In other words, they wear a badge, right? So they have that badge and that police, uh, that policeman or policewoman, it is not really them stopping you. They represent the entire community that has a set of laws. Let's just Let's keep it simple, to speed limit. The speed limit in an area is 40 miles an hour. I can think of a major road near me right now. It's 45, 40 miles an hour. Everybody does 60 on it. Even I think, man, it's almost a deserted road, by the way, and it's, it's a median in the middle, two lanes on each side. It could easily be 50 miles an hour. It wouldn't make any difference to anything Anybody about anything. I mean, it's deserted for most of it, all right? But guess what? Just so I don't get a ticket, because they do patrol that area, right? I put, a lot of times I put my car on cruise control on 40. That way I don't have to worry about keeping it at 40. I mean, you feel like you should be doing 50, and it's easy to, 
If you're not careful, it's easy to do that on that street. But let's use that illustration and plug this in. Uh, even though I disagree, I think it should probably be about 50 miles on that particular stretch of road. And, no, and there wouldn't be any bad repercussion from it because of what it is and where it is. But you know what? The posted speed limit is 40 miles an hour. And there are these men and women out there with a, with a, a um, ticket pad and radar. And they have been given permission by the community at large to, give a, to stop and give a ticket to anyone who's exceeding 40 miles an hour. But I don't disagree with that. I don't like that. I disagree. Doesn't matter. The people who gave them that bad said, you have our permission and you have our authority given to you to stop anyone going over 40 and give them a ticket and we will back you up. So when, when someone says, well, I'm going to go 65 on this road and I don't care, well, they're going to get pulled over and get a ticket. Guess what? It's not that police officer that's giving them the ticket. It's the community that set that speed at 40 miles an hour. So this is what you've got to know for yourself, but man, be sure you're teaching this to your teen drivers and, and, and your young adult drivers. If you get pulled over by the police, you know, you can sort everything out in court and everybody lives, right? That's what you can do if you have to. I've found that the times I'm pulled over, usually a respectful attitude is all that's needed. A lot of times, I've not, I've only gotten, I think, uh, one speeding ticket in my life, and I was passing a dump truck, and I had to go a little faster than that lumbering dump truck, and I went right around it, and it was, it was a speed trap, and I got a ticket. And another time, I didn't see a stop sign in an unfamiliar area, blew right through it, I didn't argue. I said, I, I got it, you know, and I paid him. But um, I don't have a long history of getting tickets everywhere because I see the speed limit. And I realize there is someone who has the right given to them by com my community at large to issue those tickets or to stop me. But I've found a lot of times if you are pulled over, that if you have a right attitude, there's usually nothing going to happen. I'm not going to say it couldn't ever, but normally it's not. Now, what do you think happens, though, when there's a, a stop made and there is belligerence from the driver from the start? You know, why do you want me to get out of the car? Why won't you let me get out of the car? You can't stop me. I don't have to give you ID. And I, I don't know, you know, maybe you do or don't. I don't know. But the point is, what I'm saying is, you need to have the attitude. You need to teach your teen drivers and grandchildren that, listen, just shut up. Shut your mouth. They have the right to stop you. If you weren't doing anything wrong, you shouldn't get a ticket. If you were, you should. And maybe you won't anyway because you're respectful. Now, I'm going to give you a true story. You may be saying, but you don't know this and you don't know that and blah, 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 whatever. I know this, if you pick a fight before there's even a fight, you're going to have a fight. That's what I know. But this is a, my true story. Many years ago, I served in a church. It was out in the country. We had a New Year's Eve event. Pastor is always the last one to leave every event. Well, I was the last one to leave. So it was about one in the morning on a New Year's Eve. I go to a stop sign by the church. I stop. I don't do a California roll through the sign. My blinker's on for a left turn. I stop, blinker's on, I make the turn. Lo and behold, you know, about 30 yards down the road, there's blue lights in the mirror. And I'm thinking like, what in the world did I not do back there? At limit, here's what happened though. I rolled my window down so I could hear, but I just sat there. I didn't get out. I didn't do anything sudden. All of a sudden, I'm being told, hands out the window right now. Hands out the window. And the person yelling was a police officer and they were not joking. I couldn't get my hands out the window fast enough. So they were out. 
He comes up. I didn't even look back. I didn't look sideways. I didn't move at all because he was, I, I think he had his weapon drawn, but I don't know for sure because I didn't move. If he didn't have it drawn, he had his, his hand on his sidearm. And so he came up very quickly and carefully by the side of my car and ordered me to give him, give him my license and registration, which I did. No arguing, no backtalk, no nothing, because I felt like I was about to be aerated if I did even one stupid thing. I give it to him. He says, remain in the car. He goes back to his car. You know, I, I'm not moving. All of this took like, all of what I just said took about a minute before he even approached the car, you know, and, and getting a license. So finally he comes back and I, I, he says, who are you? Where are you going? I said, hey, I'm the pastor of that church right there. We just had an event and I'm going home. And I, I said, what, what happened? He said, hey, now I want you to listen carefully right here. This is a true story. I might not be giving this podcast right now if uh, you'll see why in just a minute. I said, what, what's going on? He said, well, about, you know, a few minutes ago, there was a white sedan. Guess what I was driving? A white sedan. It was a little white Toyota Corolla. He said, a few minutes ago, a white sedan drove by a home down here, you know, and I knew where he was talking about. And he said, uh, they shot, fired shots into a house. So I'm thinking like, wow, I'm in a white sedan. And this deputy thought, man, he drew the short straw. You see what I'm saying? I was that car. I had already discharged a firearm just a few minutes earlier and I was armed and dangerous. You get it? Are you getting it? He didn't know who I was, and he wanted to go home that night to his family too. And I knew in that moment, if, if I had had the typical attitude that we see nowadays, he could have jumped to the wrong conclusion and shot me dead before he ever asked for my license. Like if I'd have made a sudden movement, I would have been, I feel like I would have been shot. Well, that's a true story, and you can tell it to anybody you want. Maybe you need to tell your teen driver that story. Only because I kept my mouth shut, didn't make any sudden movements, or anything crazy, did the situation de-escalate enough that he could realize, okay, this is not the guy, and man, was he glad. Let me tell you. He was so relieved. So was I. That's a true story. Now, remember that when we are obedient to government, it's not a craven fear, but it's just a confident faith in God that we can submit and God's got our back. It's also voluntary. It's not compulsory. You have to choose if you're going to obey God or not. Now, what about civil disobedience when government commands us to do something that disobeys God? You see, when I can when I can obey government and I'm obeying God and what I'm told to do, there's not a big problem there, right? Unless I want to be an idiot. The problem is starting to be seen uh, it's around the world already, but it's starting to be seen now in Western countries like America and Canada. What does a Christian do when they are, they are told by government, obey us, and you think, I can't obey you and still obey God? What, what happens then? Well, that's where civil disobedience could come in. Now, I'm not going into a long episode on civil disobedience. But I'm going to recommend a book to you by Dr. Francis Schaeffer. You know the name, that guy. And it's called A Christian Manifesto. And it's well thought out. And if you are at the point that you need some help on this, that would be an excellent book to read. Let me say, though, and, and he makes this point as well, 
Civil disobedience, for example, if you are ordered by the governing authorities to obey them and it's something that would cause you to disobey God or not obey God, that that may require civil disobedience. I can't make that call for you, but you may decide that it does, but listen carefully. Civil disobedience by a Christian does not equal rioting. Okay, we're just talking about saying, hey, I can't do that and obey God, so I'm not going to do it. You can do to me whatever you want. I'm still under your authority, but you can't make me, and I won't do something God says do not do. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Now, we, we read what Peter said, the, the apostle Peter who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17 that we just went over, listen, is also the same Apostle Peter who said what I'm about to read to his authorities and joined the first Christians in Jerusalem in obeying God, which put them in disobedience to the authorities. So he wrote both passages, or, or both, both things are under the inspiration of the Spirit. So what am I talking about? Now, this may be something that you, you never heard back during the pandemic about like not having church and that kind of thing. Acts 4, verses 18 to 20. Now, uh, Peter and John are in trouble with the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem. Same ones who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Do you know what their answer was? No. We cannot obey you and obey God because they were ordering them to stop spreading the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in their speaking and teaching. And basically they said, hey, you'll have to sit down and figure out whether you think we should listen to you more than unto God, but uh, we're, we're gonna, we have to tell the truth. Now, Acts 4, 29 and 31, we're leaving out a lot of verses. You need to read the whole chapter in Acts 4. But, uh, after they went back to where the Christians were meeting and they had a great prayer meeting, this is, this is how this went down. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. The same apostle Paul who inspired was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Romans 13, 1 through 7, that we read earlier in the episode, also called out the authorities for their abuse of power. So uh, Paul has been in prison, and, and uh, you can read all about it in Acts 16. I don't have time to go through all of that. But I want you to watch how Paul exercised his rights as a Roman citizen to force the authorities 
to recognize Christianity and give it uh, protection. Let's put it that way. So Paul was playing for position here. Acts 16, 35 to 40. And when it was day, the magistrates, <coughs> excuse me, that would be like the police. We might think of it that way. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. Now, by the way, Paul had led this, this prison keeper and his whole family to the Lord that night. You got to read the whole story in Acts 16. So Paul has no beef with the prison keeper. His beef is with the people that sent him that message. Look at verse 37. But Paul said unto them, now listen carefully, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans. <clears throat> you can't beat a Roman citizen unless he's convicted of a crime and he's not been convicted of anything. They have beaten us openly, uncondemned. Let me tell you what, people, right here, these magistrates are in major league trouble with Rome, if Paul pushes it. They've beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now, do they thrust us out privily or like in secret? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. Man, I love that. That is, that is so courageous in the faith. Now watch the effect that that had in verse 38 on these guys. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them. That means they begged them. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. What a change in attitude, right? Verse 40. Now watch what Paul does. Remember, he's leaving a young church behind, including that jailer and his family. Paul is playing for position here. He's going to be okay, but he's, He's making sure that these authorities know like, hey, you can't treat Christians this way. It's wrong. Verse 40, and they went out of the prison and they walked right out of town, right? No, this is what I love. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. That's where the first church was born. The church met in her house. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. Now, we don't know how long he was there. Maybe they had lunch there. I don't know. Maybe they spent all afternoon there. And if I'd have been Paul, that's what I would have done. Like, hey, I'll leave, but I'm going to leave town when I get ready, sport. <laughs> and they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Now, what am I aiming at here? And I give you a gold star for listening this long, but now you're going to get the reward. Listen carefully. With the recent indictment by current state authorities of a political enemy who served in the highest office in our land. I'm talking about Donald Trump. This has never been done, by the way. And the conviction and mandatory re-education of a world-renowned expert in his field. We're talking about Dr. Jordan K. Peterson. 
If you don't know who he is, you need to get familiar with him. Uh, but this expert in the field, to make him say certain words and agree that unreality is reality. Hey, listen. So, so we've got an un, a never-before-seen indictment of a president, a, a past president, on political grounds is what it is. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows that. And you have the, uh, a leading world expert in psychology who refused to be told what he should say or not say. And they said, if you don't go to re-education where we're going to retrain you, then we're going to suspend your license. I'm going to put it like this. I, you may hate Donald Trump. That's not my point. You may not know who Jordan K. Peterson is. Okay, that's fine. I want you to know that these are two of the most famous people in the world, and as many people love them as hate them. All right, that's what you need to know. These two men who had this happen to them by governments are canaries in the coal mine. You know, they kept the coal miners used to keep canaries in the coal mines because as soon as that canary died, they knew there was a, like, I think it's a methane gas leak or propane gas leak or something that's going to blow up the entire mine and they would get out of the mine. Disaster was coming. But it, listen, if, if Donald Trump can be indicted and perhaps convicted and imprisoned, if Jordan K. Peterson can be forced to go to re-education at the risk of losing his license because he wouldn't say certain words and agree that unreality is reality? If that can be done to two of the most famous people and powerful people in the world, listen, you and I who are total nobodies are in for a rough road in the future. Now, if, if they win, that helps everyone, even people that don't like them. If they lose, you're not safe anymore, and neither am I. We have entered a world that is upside down, and you and I, this is my main point in this podcast, yes, we are to obey government, no question about it, until it forces us to choose between obeying government or obeying God. And if we reach that point, now I can't tell you where that is for you, and you can't tell me where it is for me. But if, if you reach that point or I reach that point and we say, you know what? I can't go. I can't go over this line. Then we need to be prayerful and thoughtful about what it means to obey God rather than men. Because we now have governments of the world trying to require people to do evil. That is a game changer. I want to tell you about somebody as we close, a girl named Hansi. In fact, uh, she wrote a book called Hansi, the girl who loved the swastika. I mean, she was all in with her governmental leader. Whatever he said, she did it. Of course, that was Adolf Hitler. She was a Hitler youth, totally believed in Adolf Hitler and totally believed in Nazism. <clears throat> Long story short, Germany loses the war. She's taken to a Russian prison camp, escapes the Russian prison camp, and from East Germany miraculously she escapes while being shot at by Russians to West Germany after World War II. And while she's being shot at and she's laying in a bush where they can't see her, she thought to herself, you know, have you ever had one of these moments where everything just becomes so clear? She's laying there thinking, well, this is it. I'm about to die by being shot by the Russians while I'm trying to get to West Germany. And she said, I'm about to be shot by the Russians. 
And I don't even know where I came from. I don't even know why I'm here or where I'm going. Have you reached that point? Maria Ann Hirschman, Hansi, the girl who loved the swastika, reached that point. And you know what? Through a series of events, she came to a true saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God rescued her and gave her a, a great ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. Once she could answer that question, where did I come from? Why am I here and where am I going? Like when I die, if I'm about to take a Russian bullet right in the head, where am I going? If you were to pass away in a car wreck or die in your sleep or have a heart attack, or you live in a major city like I do and you just become a victim of violent crime and you're dead. Do you know where you came from, why you were here and where you're going? Does it make sense to die without even knowing the answers to those three questions? No. I want you to write this phone number down. I want to give you some help. I want you to call a Christian ministry. It's not this one. But a counselor will help you answer those questions for yourself. 888-388-2683. 888-388-2683. I want you to call that number and I want you to tell the counselor that you want to know where you came from, why you're here, and where you're going. And they will help you get the answers. Thank you for listening today. I want to invite you to like the episode, follow the podcast, and share this podcast, this episode, right now with someone right where you're listening. Well, if I'm still here next week, we're going to do episode 10 of Hope for Hard Times. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.